welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We are here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. And today we're talking with Chris Harto, Senior Energy Policy Analyst at Consumer Reports. And I am Zachary Shahan, Clean Technica CEO. Chris, we just recently met at Electrify Expo in Austin, Texas. It was just, you know, obviously it's always great to connect with another kind of journalist, analyst, kind of, uh, you know, someone in the learn and, and you know, and help write educational pieces uh, field. As a senior energy analyst, you're a bit different from, from, you know, our role, but, but, you know, there's that kindred spirit. There's that, you know, like, oh yeah, this is, this is my people. This is what we do. <laughs> you know? So, and it was great. I think you introduced yourself and, you know, we're familiar with Clean Technica and so thought, hey, let's get a, let's do a podcast. Let's do, have a discussion. And you just, you presented a wonderful, excellent, like idea on email, I think a few weeks ago. And it's, it's like one, it's possibly the favorite topic for Clean Technica readers. So it's a, it's a perfect uh, discussion topic. So I'll let you introduce it actually. So let's jump in. Yeah. Yeah. Zach, happy to be here. Great, great to be on the podcast. Yeah, so I've I've been trying to keep a keep an eye out for any evidence that the demand for ICE vehicles, internal combustion engine gas vehicles, is starting to wane a little bit, even even potentially faster than automakers can build up alternative powertrains, hybrids, and uh, and especially battery electric vehicle sales. And so I've kind of been on the lookout for evidence of of that phenomena showing up. Yeah. And, you know, I think if, if you know anyone waiting on an electric vehicle, they have a long wait nowadays. Like I, my sister waited like about a year for a Volkswagen ID4 was hitting with a guy in the tennis courts who ordered a model Y and was going to take about nine or 10 months or something. And I think it's just, no matter what EV you want, if it's a, I mean, one of the more popular, you know, I guess there might be some fringe ones that few people want that don't have a long waiting list. I'm not sure, but all the, the top selling ones seem to have long wait lists. So, you know, you pointed this out and you, you, you wanted to talk about that a little bit beyond just, oh yeah, there's a lot of demand or, there, or there's a supply chain issue, which is often the, the, the kind of excuse that automakers have put out. It's like, oh, we don't have enough automotive chips or something. Yeah, yeah, the supply chain crisis has definitely been a common excuse over the past few years from from the automakers. Certainly there are supply chain challenges, but yeah, it seems like you know there's there's a, especially in the uh, clean vehicle space, there's it's just really hard to find a vehicle. You you drive by dealers and they have plenty of gasoline pickup trucks to sell you. But if you want a hybrid, if you want a plug-in hybrid, if you want to, especially if you want a BEV, there's none on the lot. You can't get one. If they do have one on the lot, it's often marked up really high, you know, five, $10,000, $20,000 even isn't, hasn't been uncommon in the past uh, year or two for really popular BEVs. And so it really seems like, you know, automakers just aren't 
delivering enough of these vehicles. Consumer demand is strong and you know, it's it seems to be pulling away demand from their conventional ICE vehicles, vehicles that they want to try and sell you so they can build up those profits to help transition to EVs. Yeah, I think we'll come back to that in a moment, the, the famous the Osborne effect. But just first of all, I think we'll talk take it up, take it back globally a bit first. So I think you know we're sure. assuming probably thinking the US because we're American, but but it's the same same problem in Europe. China, I'm not sure if it's having this problem as much, but it's very unique. It's a unique market that does more than half of the global EV sales, but it, a lot of Chinese automakers, very few foreign automakers have a good foothold there. And in Europe, it, just the, the sales are much higher than the US. The adoption rate is like around 20% instead of around 6%. And we had a writer point out a while back that the US is just going to be last priority. Because you have China, which is a huge market that is hot as about as hot as Europe. You've got Europe, which is requiring automakers to sell enough EVs to have a low enough, you know, emissions average that they don't get big fines. So they have to sell there to not get fined a lot. And in the U.S., there's not so much. There's no real require. I mean, there's a bit in in California and associated ZEV states. But there's not nearly the kind of the pressure, the demand, the requirement to sell a large portion of of EVs. So, do you do you have you looked at that at all? Have you thought about that and sort of the what role that plays in this long wait list in the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. Traditionally, automakers have always, unfortunately, tended to do the bare minimum required by them by law. So, whatever the standards say, they will meet those standards, but they almost never historically. Have gone beyond the the standards, and and when I say the standards, I mean the the EPA greenhouse gas standards and the the NHTSA CAFE standards, which regulate emissions and efficiency for vehicles in the U.S. Actually, under the Trump administration, they really rolled back those standards uh, for model years 2021 and 2022. So for those two model years. Automakers have to do almost nothing. So the, 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 standards... the Trump administration lowered standards for clean cars. I, yeah, I'm I shocked. It's, shocked. It's very, it's very shocking. And so, yeah, the the Biden administration came in and and put in t- tougher standards again. But those standards don't go and they they start in model year 2023, which is what we're really just starting to see via model year 2023 vehicles. But even then, those those standards only require around 16, 17% EV sales in 2026. So if automakers are targeting those numbers, you know, we're we're looking at a relatively slow ramp of their BEV production. And that's likely to leave a lot of consumers who want these vehicles waiting longer than they would like to. Uh, to get those vehicles, because again, automakers have a tendency in the past, at least, to do what's required by law, but only what's required by law. And so that's, that's interesting that, that I wasn't familiar with that 16 to 17 percent 2026 figure that that's basically what the standards are going to require. I mean, of course, that assumes what they're selling. To, I mean, that makes an assumption about how many they're selling overall, right? Yeah. Or, or I'm not sure if it's relative completely, but, but just on that topic, you know, there's, there was also the California case where, you know, California since 
since the, the Clean Air Act has had the right to have higher standards for, for vehicles than the U.S. at large. And Trump tried to remove that right. And there was this big fight. And it was uh, we don't want to go down that road for too long. But it, it was interesting to me because there were some automakers, I think it was GM and some others who were sort of fighting on the Trump side of, yeah, let's, hey, yeah, why does California have the right to make sure that its air is clean? <laughs> and then Ford, I think, sided or, or at least stayed out of it, but maybe sided with the EPA, the, the, the historical, you know, right to, to have cleaner air. But aside from California and that fight, the same thing sort of happened in Europe. And I remember years ago, like six or seven years ago, maybe it was, where it seemed like German automakers were putting a lot of pressure on Merkel to modify these rules that were coming into place in the past couple of years, but but were years out still. And they had been, you know, decided year, even years before that, but there was this pressure like, and the, the sort of the argument was, you know, people don't really, people are not going to buy these. There's not enough demand. If you make us do this, we're going to die. And, you know, with, with politics and lobbying, you only get a piece of what's happened, but it seemed clear enough that that was the, that was what was going on. And the model three came out, Tesla model three came out and just exploded, you know, people, the, the demand right off the bat for that was so big that I think it gave Merkel and others I'm talking about Angela Merkel, former uh, prime minister of Germany for a long time. It gave them the the kind of the, the ability to say, wait a second, you know, you're saying there's not demand, but look at all this demand for this vehicle. You can't make a better vehicle. Like, like come on, your Mercedes, your BMW, your Volkswagen. Like, if you can't have this level of demand, you've got a problem that's not, you know, it's not what you're telling me. So I think that, you know, a lot, a lot of fans of the German auto industry might disagree and say, no, 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 they were always going to do it. I don't think they were. And I think it was that pressure. And then once they, they realized, okay, we're not going to get the more lenient rules in Europe and we're going to have to compete. Then they started producing these vehicles that have now these very big wait lists. Is that, I don't yeah. know, is that your take? You want to chime in on yeah, that? Yeah, exa exactly. I, I feel like there was really a phase transition that took place somewhat soon after the Model 3 hit the market. Before the Model 3, you know, pretty much every... Every non-Tesla vehicle on the market was a compliance car. This, the, these, these were cars that they built the bare minimum of to meet, uh, you know, emission standards and specifically those standards you mentioned in California, the the ZEV ZEV standards in California that required a certain, you know, relative fairly small number of ZEVs, but they did have to build some ZEVs, and so yeah, they it was all compliance cars. Those honestly, those cars were crap. They were they were small. They had short range. Sorry to anybody who loves their their you know 2012 Leaf. I think those vehicles have a place. They're not mass market vehicles. They're not vehicles that are gonna uh, catch the attention of most of the American public. You started to see some slightly better vehicles coming out in in the late teens. You know after after the Model Three, you had. You had the Bolt, you had the Kona, you you had some of these, you know, vehicles that were starting to get to what uh you know a consumer really really needs the the over two hundred miles of range, slightly faster charging. But it's really since it's really the vehicles that automakers started developing as they saw the Model Three and the demand for the Model Three. Those development time cycles take you know three, four, five years to get from 
oh crap, we need to actually build a really good EV to compete with Tesla to we actually have a vehicle on the road that's you know been designed, been tested, and manufacturing's been built up. So we're starting to see those vehicles, but these are really the first vehicles that automakers have really, really tried to sell a compelling vehicle to consumers. Vehicles like the Mach-E, the ID4, the EV6, the Ionic 5, the H- Nissan Aria, you know, all of these vehicles are, are really the first time automakers have tried. And, and I think it really did legitimately catch a lot of these automakers by surprise that if they build a really good, compelling EV, consumers will want it. And I don't, I don't know why they were surprised, but they clearly were. They, wa- they weren't <laughs> planning for this. They weren't expecting the tsunami of demand to, to develop when they actually built a better car. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I 100% the same uh, page, I think. And I'm not sure, it was, was it John Volcker who coined the phrase co- compliance cars? I'm not sure. It's been used for yeah, years now. Yeah. Might have been John Volcker, but it's, you know, the idea that people, that the automakers were only building the cars that they had to to meet re- regulations. And the funny thing was automakers would sometimes say, you know, this is not a compliance car. I swear it is not a compliance car. And then it would just barely meet the you know sales yeah. target that they needed. It was like, well, it sure if it walks like a, if it drives like if it you yeah. know. But I mean, some automakers were more outright. Fiat, uh, the late Sergio Marchionne was like, "Don't buy our cars. We don't want to make them. They just we have to <laughs> like we lose money on these cars." You know this kind of argument. But this this I, I remember too when Kia Kia brought the Soul EV to to the market again. It was early stage. It was really not that competitive at all with range and stuff yet but they were like wow we really were surprised how many people wanted to buy this vehicle like yeah. and and i think it started getting a little more serious but hyundai and kia have always led in designing developing really good evs but i think have always been way too pessimistic with what they expect consumers to, how many consumers they expect to want them and i think that's even carried through with the ev6 and the ionic 5 which have been you know built you know in that in that new phase of, okay, we're going to really build an EV. We're going to do our best and we're going to really try to sell it. But I think it's still very much underestimated demand. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've, I've had my eye on the EV6 since it came out and you know, it's, yeah, it's, you can't, you can't find one. And when you find one, it has a really high markup or it has, you know, up, up until now, I haven't, I haven't looked in the past few months since the changes in the tax credits, but I, w- yeah. <laughs> I was going to bring that up earlier and, and I have also like that. So that I have a model three and this is the EV six has really tempted me and the Ionic five as well as we got to more familiar with it. And I see them on the road around me here. We have quite quite good EV adoption. And I'm just like, man, that's really nice. I like that, you know, but, and one of our writers got an Ionic, Ionic five, absolutely loves it. But I was going to bring up the EV six earlier because it was, I think three or four months ago where there was a radio ad playing from, from kia i think kia saying you know come by that ev6 we have them on the lot and they repeated like four times an ad they're on the lot we have them on the lot and i was like geez this is like you know everyone was aware that it was hard to find the ev on the lot the markups were crazy and and they were blasting on the ad like half of the the time on the ad was just we have them on the lot like and i was like wow this is really abnormal this is something something else going on here 
<laughs> and that was not a question. <laughs> My great in interviewing skills. No, I've just, but, but yeah, no, I think I think I was just gonna, you know, Hyundai and and uh, and Kia clearly have been developing compelling EVs now. And Ford was another interesting story or case you brought up where they didn't really have any, I mean, they the, the Ford Focus Electric was sort of a joke because they, they had a video out how they developed it. And they're like, oh yeah, we just, engineers came to it. We just decided, hey, we'll just put a box here where the batteries could go in the trunk and it's electric. And it was like, and it was like, well, that's the level of effort they put into it. But then once they got serious, they formed this kind of internal startup, which they called Team Edison initially. I'm not sure if it's, I don't think it's still called that. And they were like, just build the best EVs you can. Do whatever you want, anything. And they, they used their biggest names, the Mustang name and the F-150, biggest brands. And they built really compelling EVs. And you just see that that was a new part of that new phase. We're like, okay, we're going to really try to build the best EV. And they're highly competitive. We had a poll recently where, where respondents to the poll preferred the Mustang Mach-E over the Model Y. And the Model Y is clearly a much higher seller, but it sort of gives an indication of maybe if Ford could produce half a million Mustang Mach-E's and really push them, maybe they could sell, you know, a lot more than we, than we realize today. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, certainly the, all, Every EV made right now is massively production limited, supply limited. Yeah, again, we were talking about the EV6 earlier. You know, I, I think they sold on the order of 17, 20, less than 20,000 last year. You know, you know, they could sell two, three times that many if they built them and sent them here. I know, you know, an automaker like Kia is trying to manage their, their vehicles to multiple markets. So, you know, the demand in Europe is really high. Demand in the U.S. is really high. You know, I'm sure they have demand other places in the world that's really high. And so they're really, they're struggling to catch up with consumer demand. And they really just massively underestimated how many people yeah. would want to buy these cars. Yeah, I'm sure even in the home market of Korea, uh, which has been popping. And, yeah. and then, you know, we don't even think about, we don't even talk hardly about these uh, more emerging developing markets where they also want EVs. We get readers like, you know, we yeah. want EVs badly. We can't get, we talk to everyone. We can't get them to bring EVs to our market, like Columbia or somewhere like this. And it was like, yeah, I know this is, <laughs> this is a problem. But, but again, we're just highlighting that this is kind of the first phase of serious efforts. It takes six to eight years or something to build, to develop an, a, a new vehicle. And so the, even the level of demand we're seeing for these right now is great. But imagine like a second, Phase, second wave which Volkswagen yeah. groups sort of getting into where they've refined their ability to develop EV, where they've learned a lot and they're you know at that at that stage where they're like okay we're going to be able to do half a million of these if we if we if we do well and so I think we're going to roll into that there's still bat the whole battery supply issue which won't I'm not even going to talk about that today <laughs> that's a whole different but on the topic of of consumer demand, when when you see that demand for current EVs, you think about the next phase of EVs, next era, next wave, you get to this other issue, which is dropping yeah. ICE demand. So yeah, absolutely. And and just a few quick quick stats on that the consumer demand piece. You know, we did a survey on on EVs and low carbon fuels over the summer. Released that and. You know, the, the headline numbers weren't that, you know, eye-popping. It was around 14% of, of Americans, this is a nationally representative survey, 
14% of Americans said they would definitely buy a battery electric vehicle if they were to buy a vehicle today. And then another, yeah, and then a total of 36% of Americans, including those 14% who said they would definitely buy, said they would seriously consider a battery electric vehicle. And, you know, when we're talking about targets of 50% sales and all of that, it, you know, people think, okay, 14%, it's not that much higher than the 6% that we're seeing in sales. But actually, when you look at the, the mark, the, the vehicle fleet and, and the vehicles in people's, you know, driveways, that 14% of Americans who would buy an EV today is 36 million Americans who are ready to pull the trigger on an electric vehicle. And automakers, I believe, delivered around 800,000 electric vehicles last year. So you, when you, you see that mismatch. So 35.2 million yeah. uh, <laughs> below the demand. And yeah, you said exactly. That, you said they said definitely, right? Definitely. They said definitely Jeez. would buy it. And when you look at the, even even the, you know, the 50% by 2030 figure that's out there a lot, you don't meet the demand for those 36 million Americans who want an EV today on that 50% path until somewhere between 2030 and 2031. So even the people who want an EV today, not not assuming that you know as EVs get better, more people are gonna want them, as more people drive them, more people want them, just the people who want them today, we're not gonna meet that demand for another roughly eight years. And that, that puts into context like how long people are probably gonna be sitting and waiting for these vehicles. Yeah, so I think we can end with that hot topic with the Osborne effect. So when when people are waiting for the next model or the next technology, they will then delay a purchase if it's not ready, you know? So, so there's a kind of, you know, I've, I've often said, I've said many times, Tesla, sure, they had a very hard path to financial sustainability, profitability, but legacy automakers have, a, have to surf like this ridiculously high, difficult wave on like a needle because they have to ramp up EV production and demand. I mean, they have to stimulate it as well. I mean, they have almost every car commercial I see now is for EVs. So they're clearly focused on, we need to, we need to be seen as the EV brand in the next decade. But beyond that, they have to then scale down their production of, of gas mobiles or fossil fuel powered vehicles, which is a whole other challenge. And I mean, and timing that just right, it's like, you know, I wouldn't want to be responsible for that because I don't feel like, yeah. I don't feel like it's even really possible in yeah. a, in a per, I mean, you, you can do it, but it's going to always be, be create problems and be difficult. So I don't know. What, what do you yeah, have to say yeah. about how they're dealing with that and what, what to expect? Yeah. With, with the yeah. Challenge. I mean, it, it's extremely challenging. You're dealing with two essentially exponential processes happening at the same time. And you're trying to, to optimize to, to hit the, for those two things to cross at the same point. Like I, I do not envy automakers one bit in, in the challenge that they have, but also consumers don't care. Like they, they, what they, you've, you've shown me this awesome product. I want it, build it for me and give it to me and don't try to sell me the old obsolete stuff. 
that I don't want anymore. Like, so yeah. I, I very much appreciate their challenge and also it doesn't matter. Like, we, <laughs> yeah, we often talk about the ruthlessness of corporations and capitalism, but actually the, there's a ruthlessness of the consumer as well. It's like, it's like yeah. you either, you know, get what you want, what I want or goodbye. Like you can go out of business. I don't care. Like, yeah, so and there's, <laughs> there's a real, it's an interesting way you put it there. Yeah. And I'll, I'll throw out a, a stat. And I was just at a conference with a bunch of automakers and I told this to everyone that I spoke to. We, we, in addition to this EV survey, we, we have a regular car buying survey. This, is, this survey is only people planning to buy a, a vehicle, new vehicle to them, not necessarily a newer used vehicle in the next year, next 12 months. So um, and in, the, in that survey, among just the people who, were, who said they were only buying new cars, and, and new cars are really the only ones that matter here in terms of the initial development and penetration of electric vehicles of, of those people who said they were only looking for a new car 34 percent said they weren't looking for a conventional ice vehicle so those people might have been looking for some combination of a hybrid plug-in hybrid or battery electric vehicle so a third of the market a third of potential new car buyers aren't looking at conventional ice vehicles that number doubled in the past two years. So it went from 17% to 34% in the past two years. Who knows what it's going to be two years from now. That but date I, must have been end of 2022, right? Um, yeah, it was It was, It was. was middle of 2022. Middle of 2022. Yeah. yeah that's so, eight years off from 2050, where the goal is 50%. And, yeah. and that's often sort of the more ambitious forecasts, you know. Yeah. So e- is, even if it's, yeah, th- there's... <laughs> The trajectory is not looking good for a lot of these automakers' plans in which they assume that they will be able to easily sell 50%, you know, $45,000 gas SUVs that get, you know, in the low 20s in fuel economy in eight years. I'm, I, I think that's, that's a question they need to be asking them internally, themselves internally. In eight years, when we have better, better infrastructure, there's $7.5 billion being invested in infrastructure. There's tax credits. EVs are getting better every generation. Battery prices, you know, barring supply chain crises, are, are trending down. So the prices of these vehicles are trending down. Economies of scale are going to continue to kick in and make these vehicles more and more affordable. So all of these dynamics are taking place to the point where, in, you know, looking out at 2030, you know, the infrastructure problem is going to be a lot less. The The vehicle prices should be at parity or better in 2030. A lot of analyses show EVs being cheaper well before 2030, but definitely by 2030. Not and so the question becomes cost, like... Not even considering total cost of ownership because... Yeah, not even considering yeah. the, the massive savings in fuel and maintenance, just purchase price. And so the question becomes, who who is this population of people who are going to buy new gasoline SUVs that have poor fuel economy in 2030, when they can buy a BEV that has 300 miles of range or more, that has instant torque, has better performance, has lower fuel costs, has lower maintenance costs, it charges faster, and 
yeah, it, it just, I, I question. Better. Just better. That, <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. better. And so it just stimulates a couple of more final things too. Um, yeah, so I think yeah. you mentioned uh, something about the, the inventory growing uh, on dealerships already right now. And what's, do you have stats on that or just as general? I, I don't have off the top of my head stats on, on inventory, but um, we can include them in the article. Maybe if cer- you certainly, uh, you know, the, the analysts that analyze these sorts of things have shown growing inventories over the past three or four months. You know, inventories are still way down. Uh, gas vehicle supplies are still low relative to historic norms, but you know, last year gasoline vehicle sales dropped around eleven percent, and some of that supply chain crisis, but. Some yeah, of it we, may be the the two to three million people sitting on wait lists for electric vehicles that might have purchased a vehicle but are are waiting for that bev that they they want to to be manufactured and delivered. Yeah, I do quarterly auto, U.S. auto industry reports, uh, looking at total sales of all all the auto brands. A few niche ones don't report, like uh, Jaguar, Land Rover. But what we do different from a lot of the news atlas is we we've been comparing to 2020 2019 2020 2021 and now we also 2022 sort of to, because of covid and everything going on in the supply chain it's you know looking one year or comparing one year over year numbers is not really as helpful as the long term and when you do it going going back to 2019 2020 it's just like wow there's some serious bleeding going on i mean there's some like constant large declines so there's a lot more going on there than the narrative the common narrative which is what you highlighted and why we did the show but one more final thing then you know you talked about how difficult it is for automakers a couple of automakers have you know are being more aggressive so volvo i think wants to be fully electric by 2030 if i remember correctly byd which was producing conventional fossil fuel vehicles before last year they they switched to only producing plug-in vehicles around march or april or may or something so now they since then they only produce plug-in hybrids or full electrics and that they're even trending you know more full electrics and in china where where they sell their vehicles mostly but now they're getting very global they the plug-in hybrids often have like 40 50 miles of range so they're not these wimpy plug-in hybrids that a lot of people criticize, but, but serious, you know, they can be BEV uh, most of the time. So what's your recommendation to legacy automakers in that context? Is it like just sprint to 100% electric as quickly as possible by 2030, if you can, so that you're not faced with this crisis of, you know, having millions of fossil fuel vehicles that nobody wants to buy? Or, I mean, obviously it's easier for Volvo because, it's smaller than a lot of these other companies, BYDs in China, where there's a little more clarity what's going on from the from the federal government. What, but yeah, what's if you're in an elevator with you know a few automaker CEOs, and you and yeah. they and they treat you like, oh wow, Chris Harto, can you tell us how do we survive this? What, what what's your what's your what's your idea? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I would say that that the risks have really flipped from. You know, the the traditional narrative of what if we move too fast and consumer demand isn't there? Really, really all of the risk now is on on the side of moving too slow. So I, I don't see a path where where an automaker, you know, massively un, outruns consumer demand in, in their EV push. 
basically as fast as you can, as fast as you can feasibly, you know, make that transition, do it and you won't regret it. The, the automakers that are probably going to regret it are the ones that, that move the slowest. I love those two. First, the risk, considering it in the context, you know, just overall risk uh, as a risk analysis. That's a that's a great way to look at it. And then, yeah. like you said, yeah, probably no one's going to move too fast, right? So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, love it. Thanks a lot. That was a fun chat, and I love when you know a hundred percent line up with the with the other person, and also you know when you talk to someone where you you know that even deep in the weeds of this industry for a decade or more, it's like, oh yeah, we've been, we, we've gone through all these different phases and, we, yep. and we've we seen this story. So really appreciate Chris being on here. Keep up the good work at Consumer Reports. Let us know what you're doing in the article. We'll try to include any extra stats or, or facts that we might've missed. And of course, if you're listening, please like us, subscribe on Spotify, on YouTube, if you're on YouTube, on uh, iTunes, wherever, wherever you are, please don't forget to give us a heart or a star or whatever it is on that platform and, and subscribe for more shows like this. Thank you. And Chris, any final words? Yeah, it's just going to be a really exciting decade. I, I think a lot of cool stuff happening and uh, really excited to, to see it all play out. Yep. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thank you.